Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Jason Cherry on August 22nd, Lord's Day Service. chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, we'll begin, in, begin reading in verse 1. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. A hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask for an abundant measure of your spirit this morning to open up your word to us, to make it clear to us, to make it plain, to stir up our hearts towards obedience and to establish its truth in our hearts. Father, we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now it's very clear in verse 14 that in this parable, the seed that is sown is the word of God. And the general point of the parable is that the word of God is sown. That is, the word of God is spread. The word of God is preached. And as it is preached, it receives a varied reception among those who hear it. In other words, the word of God produces different results in different parts. And in this parable, there's four types of soils. That is, there are four types of people. There are four types of parts that hear the word of God. And you'll notice that three out of the four types of soil, three out of the four are unbelieving responses to the gospel. Only one out of four is a response of true faith. And so, as we look at these types of soil, as we look at these types of people, we need to understand 
why do these people who reject the word reject it? And we also need to understand what are the characteristics of this one whose faith endured? And so as we look at this parable, we see four types of soil. The first is the path, which we see in verse 4. Look at it with me. Jesus says, And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And in verse 15 comes Jesus' explanation, where he says, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear... Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And so with this soil type, the seed is sown, but the seed doesn't take root because the birds devour it immediately. And the birds, we are told in verse 15, represent Satan. And so we need to understand, why does this person reject the word of God? This person hears the word. But their heart is like a hardened path, and the truth does not penetrate. Before they understand the word, the devil snatches it away. The heart's resistance to the devil is like a sleeping baby's resistance to a kidnapper. Oblivious, passive, and futile. The second soil type is the rocky soil, which we see in verse 5. Jesus says, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. And then verse 16 comes Jesus' explanation, where he says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then... When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So with the rocky soil, notice that the lack of soil depth is emphasized. Just look at verse 5. It's said twice. It says in verse 5, it did not have much soil. And then it says uh, there was no depth of soil. So the lack of soil depth is mentioned, the lack of soil depth is emphasized, and then it says in verse 5 that the seed grew immediately. It grew immediately. And in Jesus' explanation that's found in verse 16, he says they received it with joy. So it's like there's this immediate burst of joy for this person. But then we read that the sun scorched it. The sun scorched the seed. The sun scorched their joy. Without soil depth, it withered. And so we need to understand, why does this person reject the word of God? Well, according to verse 17, it's because of tribulation and persecution on account of Christ. So they initially receive the word, and they do so with joy. But suffering for Christ makes them think Christianity is just a manipulative hoax. And this is a common problem today, where people initially think they want to receive the word of God. People initially think the promises of Christ sound good, but then once they realize the cost, the cost that Jesus spoke of in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, then when they realize the cost, namely, that in this life there will be suffering and persecution for those who have the name of Christ, well, then they decide they don't want any part of it. 
And so this is a common problem today, where people seem to accept the Word of God, but when hard times begin, they start to rethink things, and then they start to, they start to work through all the questions, all the questions of doubt and skepticism. Now, how can a human being really understand the mysteries of God? How can I be sure this is the truth? I mean, so many learned people with lots of degrees behind their name mock this. Surely it's not true. And if there is a God, surely he's good. And why would a good God let me suffer persecution on account of him? How could this good God let so many people suffer poverty? How could this good God let so many people catch coronavirus? Or whatever it is. And they start to question God. And they start to reason themselves into unbelief. And so like the sun beating on a rootless plant reveals the shallowness of the soil, so does the persecution reveal the shallowness of their initial happiness. The third soil type is the thorny soil. Look at verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Then verse 18, we find Jesus' explanation, where he says, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So notice... Two times the lack of fruit is mentioned. It's mentioned in verse 7, which is in the parable itself, but then it's also mentioned in verse 19 in Jesus' explanation of the parable. So the seed is sown, but the thorns grow and choke it such that it produces no fruit. And so we need to understand, why does this person reject the word of God? Well, verse 19 says it's because of worldly cares and the deceitfulness of riches. You see, the gospel never controls this person because his life is too full of empty things. There are too many things he's already given his heart to. There are too many commitments, empty commitments, that choke out the word of God. And so the point of the thorny soil is simple. Worries about worldly life, worries about wealth, tend to snuff out the word of God. And this happens deceitfully. It happens subtly so that he is not aware that the word is choked out. And so preoccupation with the cares of the world, preoccupation with riches, is like a wormwood quietly eating away the crossbeams of your faith. The fourth soil type is the good soil, found in verse 8. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And then Jesus' explanation in verse 20 where he says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So we saw in the previous soil type, the thorny soil, that the lack of fruit was emphasized. And then we see in the good soil that the fruit is emphasized, both in verse 8 and verse 20. Verse 8 says they produced grain, they grew up, and they increased. 
And so we need to understand what are the characteristics of this person whose faith endures. Well, verse 20 says that he hears the word, he accepts the word, and he bears fruit. And so that shows us the proper response to the word of God. The proper response to the word of God is to hear it, to believe it, and to respond accordingly. And also in verse 8 and verse 20, we get something towards the definition of saving faith. It's not a comprehensive definition, but it does give us one characteristic of saving faith. Because the definition of saving faith is not mere assent. The definition of Christian faith is not mere intellectual agreement. You'll see in the good soil, the definition of Christian faith is to believe in such a way that it bears fruit. See, that has to be part of our definition of Christian faith. Christian faith is the sort of thing that believes the word of God in such a way that it bears fruit. And so fruitfulness indicates faithfulness. Unfruitfulness indicates a spiritual thicket of thorns. So faithful believers are like trees in a storm. The branches may shake, but the roots hold firm, and the tree produces fruit. And so we have this familiar parable with the four types of soil. We've got the hardened path where the word of God does not penetrate. We've got the rocky soil where the word of God is accepted at first, but the person falls away when suffering comes. We've got the thorny soil where the word of God is choked out because of empty desires for riches. And then we've got the good soil, the person who hears the word, accepts the word, and bears fruit. So we've seen the four types of soil. We've examined the four types of soil and what Jesus has to say about them. And so that means we're now prepared to identify several principles that emerge from this parable. Principle number one that emerges from this parable is the principle of self-examination. The principle of self-examination. In Jesus' explanation of the parable, he specifically says that each type of soil hears the word of God. But then we find that the word produces different results in different parts. And so perhaps the primary point, or at least the, surface, the most surface level point of the parable, is to drive each person to self-examination to see which of the soil types they most resemble. And so each person who hears this parable needs to examine themselves as to how he hears, as to how he hears the word of God, how he hears the gospel. And as we've seen, there are different ways to destruction. Hardness of heart in the case of the path. Persecution and tribulation in the case of the rocky soil. Riches and empty cares in the case of the thorny soil. And we all know there's other reasons why people might be hardened towards the truth of the gospel. Examine yourselves and see what tempts you. Are you the one with the hardened heart? Are you the one that's tempted by desires for riches? Are you the one who cuts and runs when things get hard. You need to examine yourself and you need to call it what it is. See where potential destruction may be in your life. And when you examine yourself, remember two things. First, realize that being dull of hearing, being blind, being stiff-necked need not be a permanent condition. 
Okay, so let's imagine you self-examine yourself and you resemble one of these types of soil. And you discover that there are places in your life where you might be tempted to despair the truth of the gospel. You need to be truthful about what that is. You don't want to run from it. You don't want to brush it under the rug and act like it doesn't exist. You need to call it what it is. But then once you identify it, you have to remember that this need not be a permanent condition. And the second thing you need to remember when you self-examine yourself is realize that good hearing, good hearing requires vulnerability to check the soil and see that you are willing to hear what you don't want to hear so that you can accept the word with faith. And so if you self-examine yourself and you start to realize, I might be one of these soil types. There are certain things in my life, certain sin tendencies in my life that draw me away from the Word of God. Remember, that need not be a permanent condition. But the way that doesn't become a permanent condition is that you willingly submit yourself to the hard thing. If you want to sort a category of mature Christians on the one hand and immature Christians on the other hand, there's going to be several reasons why they're in those categories. And one of those reasons is that the mature Christians, at some point in their walk, decided, I'm going to listen to the hard thing in the Word of God. I'm going to listen to the hard thing from my brother who loves me and knows that sin in my heart that I'm refusing to acknowledge. And so when you do the work of self-examination, Remember, it need not be permanent, but to keep it from being permanent, you need to be willing to listen to the hard thing. And so the first principle from this parable is this principle of self-examination. The second principle from this parable is the principle of resisting discouragement. Think about the sower for a moment. We've been focusing on the soil. But let's think about the sower for a moment. Each sower, that is each person who spreads the word of God, each sower, each parent, each friend, each pastor, each teacher, each grandparent, each sower of the word of God faces temptation to discouragement. Each sower of the word of God might get frustrated when the word they sow doesn't produce fruit. And in this parable, the sower is one for four. Even in baseball, that's a bad batting average. He's one for four. So you know this sower is discouraged. Or at least is tempted towards discouragement. But notice, the abundant yield of the good soil is emphasized in both verse 8 and verse 20. The abundant yield, the abundant harvest is 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And that is intended to offset any failure. It is supposed to provide the sort of encouragement, the sort of motivation to keep you sowing, even though you're only one for four. Because that one produces an abundant harvest. That's how God works. He went one for four, but the one, the one, produced an abundant harvest. And so when you sow the word of God, remember two things. Remember, first, it's not immediately clear how the word is received. And second, remember that the abundant harvest is why farmers keep farming. So we see... First, the principle of self-examination. We see, second, the principle of resisting discouragement. Consider, third, the principle of wide distribution. The principle of wide distribution. Again, think about the sower. 
the sower spreads the seed in a variety of soil types. And I can imagine a farmer reading this parable and thinking, what is this guy thinking? You're not going to grow a crop in thorny soil. You're not going to grow a crop in rocky soil or on a hardened path. What are you thinking? Sowing seeds in all of these different types of soil. Well, God requires the word of God to be broadcast widely, even in a soil type that you think might not produce a harvest. The job is to sow the word of God. Amen. Knowing that not all planting will produce a response in everyone. There will be adversity. There will be opposition. And so when you sow the word, remember two things. First, broadcast the word to all types of people, even if you prejudge that there's no way that person would believe. It doesn't matter. There's no way that thorny soil was going to grow anything. It would have seen it. And so broadcast the word to all types of people. And second, broadcast the word in all types of ways. And that, that's why at Trinity Reformed Church, that's why we preach, that's why we teach, that's why we worship, that's why we write and blog, that's why we do podcasts, that's why we do beer and hymns, that's why we have conferences, that's why we wish to start a school, that's why we wish to start ministries to the magistrate, that's why we wish to start a publishing house, that's why we wish to start an institute for the household. It's because of the principle of wide distribution. We desire to distribute the word of God widely, because when it's distributed in this way, that might gain a harvest with one soil type. But when you distribute it in these other ways, that might spread a harvest with other soil types. The fourth principle that we need to consider from this parable is the principle of unformed faith. The principle of unformed faith. As we just observed, only one out of four received the word with faithfulness. The other three soils were only an illusion of faith. This illusion of faith does not deserve to be called true Christian faith. John Calvin refers to this as unformed faith. So what is unformed faith? Well, unformed faith is far removed from the solid reality of Christian faithfulness. Yet nothing prevents unformed faith from briefly appearing as something real. So look at the parable. The seed sown along the path showed very little promise, almost nothing. But the seed sown among the rocks and the thorns briefly showed something real, something that appeared to be real before it withered away. And so each is a case of unformed faith. We also see unformed faith, for example, in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 24, when Simon, the magician, initially believed or seemed to believe in Acts 8, 13. But then a short time later, his faith withered away in Acts 8, 18. And so Christians everywhere want to know what happens. What happens in these cases where they seem to believe it at first, but then it withers away? What happens in the cases of unformed faith? What happens in the case of the thorny soil or the rocky soil or Simon the magician? Christians everywhere want to know. It might be the single most important question that 
at this time in the history of the church? Why are so many people falling away from the church? Why are so many people existing in this state of unformed faith? They seem to have faith for a while, but then it withers away. Why? Well, it's not necessarily that Simon the Magician or the rocky soil or the thorny soil pretended to have faith. That's not usually what's going on here. When they have that initial burst of faith, it's not, it's not a pretend job. That's not usually what's going on. It's not that they pretended to have faith. In these cases, they do hear the word of God, and they do detect something true in the word. And they like it. They like the initial taste. They like the appetizer. They feel something of its truth. They feel something of its divine power. But it doesn't last. So what happens? Well, they, they have this false show of faith, not only in a way that others eventually see it as a false show of faith, but even in a way that eventually they themselves see it as a false show of faith. Even they themselves start to know, you know, that initial response I had early on, that, was, that wasn't real. That was false. And so at first they hear the word and they persuade themselves that because they like this initial taste, because they like what they initially hear, they think, yes, I'm going to accept this. I'm going to accept the word of God. But then, over time, they start to see more of the menu of Christianity. And they start to realize they don't like the full offerings as much as they like the appetizer. Oh, wait, you're, you're saying I have to suffer for Christ? I'm out. Or whatever it is. And they fall away. And so their, their initial response is mere assent. And mere assent does not penetrate to the heart itself. The heart is where faith goes to remain fixed. And so whatever roots they put down, they're not living roots. And we have to realize the human heart is naturally callous. And behind that hard exterior of the human heart are so many crannies where vanity hides. Behind that hard exterior are so many holes where falsehood lurks. Behind that hard exterior are so many crevices where hypocrisy camouflages. In such a way that the hard part produces only shadow shapes of faith. The shadow shape of faith is where awareness of divine love vanishes into temporary things. The shadow shape of faith is where the stray streets of virtue are easily erased. The shadow shape of faith is where you like the idea of receiving forgiveness from God, yet resist the idea of showing forgiveness to others. The shadow shape of faith is where there's more interest in earthly prosperity than in God's favor. And so I call on you today to examine yourself, to abandon the shadow shapes of faith that may exist in your life and in your heart. And you might think, okay, how do I do this? Well, the first way to examine yourself and to abandon the shadow shapes of faith in your life is to fix your gaze firmly on Christ Jesus. The way to do this is to begin by looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and simply trust in Him. Trust in Him as your Savior and Lord. And you might think, wait, 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 no, no. You're not going to get away with that because that's what you tell the kids in children's Sunday school. 
I want something more. To that I say, first off, you're exactly right. That's exactly what we tell the kids in Sunday school. We tell them to look at the character of God, to look at the gospel of the Son, and to look at the work of the Holy Spirit, and to put their trust in this God. So yes, you're right. That's exactly what we tell the kids in children's Sunday school. And it's exactly what I'm telling you now. If you want to abandon the shadow shapes of faith in your life, there's no book of tips. It begins by gazing upon the Son, Jesus Christ. The way to abandon the shadow shapes in your life is to rest your soul with all of its sins unreservedly on Christ. You see, you don't put the sins away in the back room before you come to Christ. You bring all of them with you when you come to Christ, and you give them to him, and he does away with them. The way to abandon the shadow shapes of faith in your life is to cease completely from any dependence on your own works or doing, either in whole or in part, and to rest on no other work but Christ's work. To rest on no other righteousness but Christ's righteousness. To rest on no other merit but Christ's merit as your ground for hope and salvation. And you think, okay, well, then why should I do that? Why, why should I trust Christ like that? Abandon everything for Christ. To cast everything upon Christ. Why? Why should I do that with Jesus Christ? Well, the reason is because, as Acts 10.43 says, to Christ all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The reason is because, as Acts 13, 38 says, Through this man, Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything. The reason is because, as Colossians 1, 14 says, In Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The reason you should... Cast yourself entirely upon Christ, not with your work or your righteousness or your merit, but leaving all of that behind and casting yourself only on Christ is because the Lord Jesus Christ, in great love and compassion, made a full and complete satisfaction for sin by suffering death in our place upon the Christ. Or on the cross. There he offered himself as a sacrifice for us and allowed the wrath of God, which we deserve, to fall on his own head. For our sins, as our substitute, he gave himself, he suffered and died, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty. Why did he do this, you might think? Why would anyone do this? Well, Jesus Christ did this so that he might deliver us from the curse we earned by breaking the law and provide a complete pardon for all who are willing to hear the word of God. And by so doing, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 11, he has borne our iniquities. By so doing, as John the Baptist says in John 1, 29, he has taken away our sin. By so doing... He has done, as Hebrews says in Hebrews 9.26, he has put away our sin. By so doing, as Daniel says in Daniel 9.24, Jesus Christ has put an end to sin and finished transgression. And now the Lord Jesus Christ is sealed and appointed by God the Father to be a prince and a savior, to give remission of sin to all who will have.
have it to all who will hear the word of God with faith. The keys of death and hell are put in his hand. The government of the gate of heaven is laid upon his shoulder. He himself is the door, and by him all that enter in shall be saved. Christ Jesus has purchased a full forgiveness if you are willing to hear the word of God, if you are willing to receive it. He has done all. He has paid all. He has suffered all that was needful to reconcile us to God the Father. He has provided a garment of righteousness to clothe us. He has opened a fountain of living waters to cleanse us. He has removed every barrier between us and God the Father. He has taken every obstacle out of the way and made a road by which the vilest sinner may return. And it's a simple faith that will unite you to all that Christ Jesus has accomplished. And what does it mean to have faith, you wonder? Well, I'll close with this. To have faith in this Jesus that I'm telling you about is to trust in him. It's to rest on him. It's to lean on him. It's to confide in him. It's to commit your soul to him. It's to forsake all other hope and cling only to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you will have heard the word of God like the good soil. Let's close by praying together. Heavenly Father, we tremble to think that three parts of the good seed fell upon bad ground. And so we ask, Father, let not our hearts be like the path who through hard hardness did not receive the seed. Father, let not our hearts be like the stony ground which hears with joy for a time but falls away when persecution arises. Father, let not our hearts be like the thorny ground which chokes the word and is unfruitful because of the deceit of riches. Father, we ask that you would let our hearts be like the good ground. Enable us to understand your word, to keep your word, and to bear fruit. Father, we pray all this for the sake of Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.